This episode was sponsored by Quests for Authenticity, the first and only coaching program that uses D&D to help people become just as confident in real life as their characters are at the table. Welcome to the Compendium, a resource designed to help you spend less time learning D&D and more time actually playing. Welcome back to the Compendium. I am your host, as always, Casey, and with me is my co-host and dice extraordinaire, Jason Russell from The Critical Dice. We are back and we are going to bring you guys another class breakdown for D&D. We are continuing on with the martial classes for now, the ones that until they get further up the line, they don't really use magic, so to speak. They're a little bit more straightforward um, in some respects because of that. And this week, we actually had a special request for the topic of um, talking about the monk class and that came from one of our patrons on our patreon yeah and uh if you haven't joined the patreon you can for as little as two bucks and ask questions uh and get special episode stuff done it's uh pretty great so go check that out Yeah, and it helps us kind of cover some of the costs of just running the podcast for you guys and being able to present all of this for you. So uh, super appreciated if you guys want to check that out, patreon.com forward slash the compendium. So Jason, monks, monks are interesting because my understanding is that they were kind of one of the lousiest classes in (laughs) D&D for a very long time, or maybe one of the most hated classes. And I think we've talked about this a little bit, but I don't know that I've ever heard that from any other class except for Monk. I don't think it's gotten as much hate (laughs) as I've heard from the Monk class. So what's a really brief history of the evolution of the Monk class in D&D? So basically the only other class that got as much hate was the Bard. Um, Because I think in past times, the monk class and the bard class were very convoluted. They were confusing. Okay. And it did, it wasn't immediately obvious what you were supposed to do with them, or it didn't present a clear path of like, hey, this is what this, this class is about. I think in 5e, the ranger for a long time got that same kind of hate because a lot of the stock ranger stuff was all about exploration and tracking and survival skills. And they're like, but that won't help us in a dungeon and that doesn't help us in town and doesn't help in a battle. And that doesn't. And so Mm -hmm. it got a lot of hate for that. And so I I think that's perhaps why that happened. But uh, Monk is not one of the like OG um, classes either. I think maybe it got, um, it joined in, uh, gosh, maybe 3.5. I'm not okay. really sure. I have to check, but it's one of the more recent ones. Um, it was definitely in fourth, definitely in fifth. Um, but I have to kind of look and see where it first popped up, though. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, when you think of Monk, your mind goes immediately to like um, Aang, the last avatar. And it goes to the Iron Fist, right? The actual, like, hey, this is a monk. They're wearing the robes, all of that. But as it's presented in in D&D, it can actually span a little bit of a wider range than that with some of the abilities that you get. So what are some examples of characters, like well-known fictional characters you can think of that might not seem like they'd stat as a monk, but kind of technically are. I think we've talked about the Flash being one of them or Daredevil 
being yeah. technically probably more on like the monk side of things just to get people an idea of the the spectrum that playing a monk can run right i mean so it's really easy that to think about like a martial artist right like jackie chan jet lee uh, mm-hmm. Bruce Lee, all of those folks would be obviously monks. Um, and then you're right in superhero stuff. Any th- the problem becomes that since monks are really known for unarmed strikes, most superheroes also don't really carry weapons. They just punch people real good. Uh, and so, like some people I've seen do builds that are a Batman's a monk, and I'm like, no, not really. He's a rogue. Uh, but so, but because the monks are known to be so fast, not only in their movement speed, but also with the, um, uh, with the number of punches or attacks they can do in a round conceivably, uh, the flash would be a really good one for that or Quicksilver, things like that. Uh, so yeah. So, um, I think any of those would work. I'm just trying to think of other like genres of where monks might pop in, um, yeah, and I think also too, a lot of people like the cleric when they hear monk, they're thinking, you know, like Eastern monk, I'm sorry, Western monk, um, that are like, you know, they make beer and cheese and put out, out a Gregorian, uh, right, you know, the Gregorian chanting, chanting Christmas album every year, but that's not really the, the idea. It's, uh, it's more the, uh, the Eastern uh, martial artist. Um, but also like every fighting game has this idea, like, you know, most of street fighter has real strong, uh, you know, monk vibes. And in fact, there's one particular monastic tradition, their subclass that is straight up street fighter, which is pretty cool. Yeah. So how would you say, cause the big thing with monks is that it's very spiritual focused, right? You go to your monastery, um, but it's not going to be spirituality in, you know, D and D world, the same way that like clerics or paladins are. So how would you kind of sort that in the, the realm of magic, deity, gods, religion? Um, it, it, it's presented differently. It's not just like, here's your cleric alternative. Right. Yeah. So monks, their spirituality is more like, I would suppose, Buddhist in style, where it's more about becoming one with yourself and inwardly focused about inner peace. Um, you know, the druids and rangers are about being at peace with the world around them, clerics and paladins more you know, being aligned with their deity and monks are more about being aligned with themselves and who they are truly meant to be and the inner uh, resources of oneself and tapping into that. So it's in, in contrast to the cleric, it's inward focused where the cleric is outward focused. Right. And they're also not necessarily, again, it's these stereotypes that get us every time. Um, they're not necessarily hermits. Right. I mean, they no. they live the certain way of life, but that doesn't mean they're not making, you know, might, they might have their monastery or something like that, but they're still making trips to town to buy apples and whatever they need to eat. They're engaging with the locals like they're not just these very stoic. I will. I've took a vow of silence. I mean, they could be, but I took a vow of science and now I'm not speaking to anyone and I live in recluse in a cavern in the mountain like they can be very amiable people. Good to get, yeah. you know, fun to get along with. Yeah, exactly. It doesn't just because they're a monk doesn't mean they're cloistered. You know, it doesn't mean that they're off by themselves in some monastery or temple or something like that. They can, I mean, a monk could just come from a family that practices that discipline or that they were trained that way. But now, you know, they walk the earth like Kang from Kung Fu. Um, uh, or anything else. So yeah, they don't have to be a hermit. I, I think druids and rangers probably lean more that way than monks do. Um, I just thought of another great example of what a monk might be. Jedi. 
from Star Wars. Because, really? Okay, explain yeah. it. Well, because I am I was just like looking over the paragraph that talks about how like key works, like the kind of the source of their power. And so it talks about how it's a magical energy that's um, that surrounds us. <laughs> no, listen, the energy is an element of the magic that suffuses the multiverse, you know, all around us, specifically the element that flows through all living beings. That it's is the force. I mean, <laughs> you don't even really have to read between the lines too much. Yeah, there. exactly. Okay. And you think about like some of like the acrobatics that monks can get up to like their slow fall and stuff and then you think about the flip wizards i'm sorry the jedi from the prequels uh that how they're like you know jumping way high and falling and they're fine and all of that so jedi don't monks actually... also can't possess the capability to, to like kill people with their mind in a weird way if you tie it together where they can do yeah. something and then just decide later on they want that person to die pretty much right okay so yeah i could see it yeah jedi are a strong contender in fiction to be monks that is not what I would have gravitated to normal, like naturally, right. but I totally see it. Yeah. And I, I think I've mentioned that before, but just reading that little paragraph, I'm like, wait, I've heard this before. Where have I heard this? Oh yeah. Every Star Wars movie thing ever. Right. So you mentioned it a little bit, but let's talk a little bit about um, how monks started venturing. Because even in the the player's handbook, it specifies that the life that they lead is very rigid. Like, and that's what they like. It's very structured. It's it's investing themselves and embedding themselves into a community of people in their monastery or their cloister, um, and so leaving is not just you don't just get a whim to get up and go adventure. That's like a very big decision to, to make. Um, and what are, what are some reasons that that could happen? I liked one of the things that you already said about, um, the fact that maybe this is just like a family tradition where the family has yep. always been monks and studied this way. And there is like a rebellious streak of like, I, I understand these ways, but I want to understand more than, more than just this. So they do just leave. Yeah. Um, maybe getting like, asked by the head of the monastery to perform a special mission or yeah exactly you know i even think about a king off of that kind of family tradition you think about brazilian jiu-jitsu and the gracie family and like it started with one family now you could find a gracie you know specifically like almost every street corner in every town in america and a lot of the world uh, where they as a family have gone out and been the the kind of evangelists for their martial art uh, which is kind of a cool idea to do that too, because I mean, what if you know that with some the proper training, any local townsman could defend themselves in their village and not ever have to pick up a sword or learn how yeah. to to you know beat their 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 plows into spears and that kind of thing, that mm -hmm. they could actually teach an entire village to defend themselves. And so maybe that's what they're doing, setting up just the basics or even establishing a, a dojo or something mm -hmm. in a town like every six months or something. I think that'd almost be kinda, like a missionary style trip, yeah. Not, where it's like you've been dispatched to this town to help them prepare themselves for. Right. You know, whatever might befall them yeah and i could even see them thinking that well what i teach not only helps them to find you know inner peace or whatever so it's it does have a quasi-religious mm -hmm. thing to it but at the same time to practically defend themselves and that what they can do isn't overtly aggressive it's defensive in its nature as, as so many martial arts are and i, I kind of like that idea mm -hmm. um that's the jedi thing again it is. Don't it give really into the is. dark side. Mm -hmm. And there's some <laughs> there's some dark side subclasses in here for sure. Um, 
but uh, yeah, so I mean, it also could to be that that they're sent out to, you know, as, as a test or as the next mm. part of their training. It's easy to to follow this lifestyle when you're here at the school or here at the cloister. But how does it work when you're out in the real world? You know, how how does that, um, you know, change? things when reality hits your ideals and so that could be really cool and then I also like what you said too like the almost like the feudal lord kind of idea where it's like okay we're going to send you out I need you to do this thing for me and it'll take you five years if there's no complications but you may not have been in the world much but I have there will be complications you know so yeah I kind of like that idea I had one player that was a turtle monk in one of my campaigns and mm -hmm. uh I mean talk about yeah and uh his reason for leaving the monastery was basically there was like a mass murder he he was out doing something came back to the monastery and everyone had been slaughtered yeah. and so there was nothing left there from him for him and he was the last one surviving and so he kind of took it as his obligation to go out into the world and try to find whoever did this to like his home so he was kind of forced into the adventuring world in that his home was taken away from kind of like star wars kind of like luke um and so yeah it was kind of like that concept and that's how he ended up ended up migrating away from the monastery so i yeah. think that there's lots of options but it's it's definitely going to be a character point to have a valid reason for why your character would leave that environment you can't yeah. just kind of gloss over that because that's probably going to be really pivotal with their character arc yeah absolutely like like the kind of the backstory that comes to my mind that i think would be really fun is like military conscription that you know this is a remote village they teach this discipline there and the character gets pulled into the army and they're like well listen i'm a pacifist i don't fight like that's not what i was taught and they're like well fine you're the medic then or you're the cook and then one faithful day things go really bad and he's like well if i swore to protect these people these the, this this injured soldier that is my ward then that means i have to do so by taking action i can't just be um, you know, a, a, a passive observer to this horror and reluctantly being thrown into the adventuring life, you know, and that could, that, that hurt character could even be like the fighter in the group or another uh, person. And I, I kind of love that almost like the A-team, right? They're all used to be right. military <laughs> special forces. And then now they're their own adventuring band, basically that helps right wrongs. I, I kind of like that idea. That'd be fun, like script as a DM to give your players when you're starting a new campaign of like, this mm -hmm. is the setting. Here's the type of character I want you to create, but don't tell them why. And then introduce them, maybe like play the music over your speakers um, when you like, bum. yeah, yeah. <laughs> wait for people to catch on. Yeah, give, um, them a, give them a cart that's black with red accents. And you're just like, wait, did you just? Yes, I did. You're welcome. <laughs> uh. Uh, okay, so now that we have a really good idea of what a monk kind of embodies, their, their, the buildup to the point that they're going to start being played as a character, they're going to start adventuring, um, let's start working through the class features that your a monk build will get starting at level one um, that every monk is going to start off with when you're creating your monk yeah absolutely so class features um they're pretty uh a little on the low end when it comes to hit, hit dice uh but it's a d8 uh per monk level uh, of course plus constitution um they get zero proficiency with armor so like the wizard and sorcerer just nothing uh, weapons, interestingly, simple weapons and short swords. Um, and then they can choose one type of artisan tools or one musical instrument. And it 
I love that because it kind of goes into the um, the backstory and the whole like like vibe of this class that um, a lot of in like an ancient Japan, I think I, I may be getting the nation wrong, but calligraphy and the paintbrush style and those long strokes were taught in tandem with sword techniques because it's the same moves and the same necessary control. And so a lot of like the beautiful art that would come out of those same dynasties also produce a lot of warriors because uh, you know, it's the same kind of thing. And you think back to like the original karate kid of Mr. Miyagi, he's got him painting decks and, and fences and stuff and washing cars because it's the same motions. Right. And so when I see this, I'm like, oh, that's actually really cool that if you're like, you know, the artisan tool is like, you know, a calligraphy set or it's woodworking and the musical instrument could be a drum or a very kind of weird instrument that has a lot of motion with it or it requires a lot of like breath control. I could really see like leaning into that as well, um, which is, I think, just beautiful. Yeah, um, I really like that because when I read this, I, my brain would just as associated with that the idea that they're living in cloisters and monasteries where everybody has to serve a purpose in order yeah. for this this group to function as a whole. And so your job, you're the cook, like you need to make food for everyone or you need to, you know, create poultices and salves for everyone for wounds, like everyone has a job to fill. And so I saw this more as just like how they exist within like their world and needing to contribute more than just I can punch things. And so I really like your perspective because I'd never thought about that, but that's that's very true. And I think that's a really cool like way to, to work some of that in. Yeah, and I'm not 100% sure that either one of those is right, but they both work and you can use both simultaneously and I love it. Um, but yeah, so saving throws, strength and dexterity, and then they can Makes choose. Sense. Yep, and they can choose two skills, acrobatics, athletics, history, insight, religion, and stealth. Um, and then they can either get a short sword or a different simple weapon. A spear is a really common choice, which is really great for, uh, for just kind of the, the tags that it has. Spears, it's, uh, um, oh simple. gosh. Yeah. But versatile. Uh, versatile. Yeah. It can do right? two handed. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So that's part of it too. And I think it's like a D8 or something. Um, I'm looking it up now to make sure I'm not wrong, but, uh, yes, yeah, so a D6, but it's got uh, it can be thrown and it's versatile. So you can do a lot of things with a, uh, a spear. So it's a pretty common choice. Uh, dungeoneering pack, explorers pack, 10 darts. Um, and darts. And That's a darts. little bit random. <laughs> yeah. Just like, all right, cool. Thanks for the darts, I guess. Um, but... Funny to have it be like someone like your character has these darts, but they're literally just like playing darts games. And you're like, yeah, we had to pass the time at the monastery somehow. <laughs> I forgot yes, exactly. we had we had darts on Tuesday and I left on Monday totally forgot to take them out of my bag yeah exactly um I think also too this might be a subtle nod to like shuriken like to the throwing stars that it's a small okay. thing that you can throw that does like you know one d4 or just one point uh, it's very minimal yeah well I mean it does one d4 so that's dagger damage right I mean that's true so Ranged I got dagger damage yeah yeah uh, so I, I like that pot, that potential flavor. Um, and then you kind of get into the meat and potatoes of like first level um, monk is they get unarmored defense, which is similar to what barbarians have, but there's a few differences. So basically is that when you're not uh, wearing armor and not wearing a shield, wielding a shield, 
Uh, your AC is 10 plus your dex and your wisdom modifier. So those are the two like big key um, or first no clue. Intended. Those are the key. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> we'll get into dang, key soon. <laughs> dang it, Casey. Um, those are the kind of the essential attributes uh, for the monk because later on, even with some of the subclasses, wisdom becomes very important. Uh, Dex is really important for uh, AC always. And also they get a thing where they can, uh, well, the very next thing in martial arts. Uh, they get uh, a couple of features here that while you're unarmed uh, and or wielding only a monk weapon and you aren't wearing any armor uh, so or a wearing a shield. Is, the monk weapon is just like a simple weapon, right? That's not its own special caveat yeah, of weapons. It's, it's the two things that you've got, the short swords okay. and any simple melee weapon that doesn't have the two-handed or the heavy property. So anything that you can really like move and flow with, um, which makes a lot of sense. So basically you can use dexterity instead of strength for the attack and damage rolls of all of your unarmored, your unarmed strikes and monk weapons. So the idea here is that the, the, you can play them any way you want, but what is like with the grain of the intent of this kind of class is that they're not wearing armor or any shields they are only carrying the most simple of weapons or no weapons at all and they can um, use their dexterity instead of their strength and so you literally can have a monk that's just wearing simple clothes no weapons and they could just wreck a battlefield which is kind of cool just the visual image of it um because they're supposed to live simply because they get to use their decks and their wisdom for their ac they can use their decks again for their attacks and damages even when they're not using a, a finesse weapon so that's kind of great so you can kind of pool all of your uh resources into dexterity and it's going to help you a lot of different places i just thought Okay, I just thought of another potential reference for a monk. Tell me if you think this is right. Neo from The Matrix. Oh, yeah, I think so. I think because I think when you said like they can go series. into battle and just like wreck it, it reminded me of that scene in The Matrix with Neo. And I was like, oh, that that could, he could be a monk as well. Like, again, Absolute. just a different breed yeah. of monk, but. Absolutely. I mean, not only is it a great martial arts movie, but it's also very much about looking into yourself and deciding what you want, what is real, what is not. And does that make a difference about what you truly want out of life? Right. Yeah. So that was just a very like philosophical, like monkey kind of thing. I love it. Um, so not only can you use your decks uh, instead of strength for attack and damage, when you make an, a, a unarmed strike, you can do a D4 instead of what's normal, which usually is just whatever your strength score is. Mm -hmm. So that's not usually going to be a lot. So it can be a D4 plus your strength or your dex uh, modifier. And that's going to move up uh, in dice size as you get higher in level. So um, for example, at like fifth level, it turns from a D4 to a D6 and caps out at a D10 which is better than a lot of weapons out there. And you don't have to have anything with you. No one can ever like make you drop your weapon. You aren't carrying yeah. any weapons. You are the weapons. Your hands are registered <laughs> as lethal weapons in 27 states, which is not a thing by the way, um, and all that. So that's kind of neat. And then additionally, when you use the attack action, um, 
either wearing holding a monk weapon or unarmed strike you can make an additional one arm uh, one unarmed strike as a bonus action so it's like they're uh they basically call out that yes you can do two uh a two-handed weapon a two weapon attack a dual wielding because your hands are your weapons and you have two of them presumably so you can attack as a bonus action with that one too and that's um, assuming that you're not if you're you have like a versatile weapon like a quarter staff or a spear mm -hmm. that you're not using it two-handed right because you only get one you bonus you don't action. have both your weapons <laughs> yeah exactly uh and you still only get ever one bonus action so yeah um so um but yeah so that means at level one they can attack twice and they can do at least a d4 plus probably plus three on each of those that's out the gate people talk about how fighters get a lot of attacks monks give them a good run for their money especially out of the gate mm -hmm. so this is a little bit off topic but talking about their attacks i am curious because i feel like there's a lot of room to embellish and create some really fun um creative ways to attack especially if you're thinking about uh kung fu martial arts where like they're gonna throw the the spear up in the air jump and then kick it with their feet to aim yes like as a dm how would you run that would you just say okay this is just gonna be a very normal attack or would would there be some kind of like cherry on top that you would give for the added creativity of just like i like not saying i just poker stab yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. It says unarmed attack. It it can be like a kick or, you know, um, an elbow or a knee to the chest or something like that. But if people want to flavor that kind of stuff, I'm pretty lenient with like rule of cool, but I try to give it like a solid mechanic. And so if they want to do an extra effect, it's going to take an extra role. And so I would be like, yeah, that's great. Give me an acrobatics check as you're trying to do this move you practice a few times of like jumping up and then kicking the spear into the guy's chest. Um, and then adding like, you know, um, an additional martial arts die from their table to the damage or something um, or granting them advantage. But honestly, a lot of time monks don't need extra help um, mm -hmm. as we'll soon see. But yeah, I, I mean, I love when people get into the character in the background and have that show up in all aspects of play, not just when you're doing talking and narrative, but even in battle. I think that's really great. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, oh, that's not all they get. We're still on level one. There's still more. Um, yes. Oh, no, so, it's not. That is level no, yeah, one. That is Starting level at one. level two, we don't get into key until level two. So, you, okay. Right. So, never mind. That is your level one monk. Starting at level two, once you level up, which usually happens very quickly. Um, yeah. This is where it gets really crazy. You get key. Uh, yes. Which key is a little bit interesting because it's not magic but i feel like they're borderline magic is there a term in DD for like the the expended points that you can use because fighters get them monks get them is there an overarching term for what that effect or that thing is yeah or is it I'm, just you just call it what it is for each class i i typically call it just an expendable resource um okay. just to make it really easy um the in D&D &D Beyond, if you look at a sheet, it'll say limited use, 
but um, everything from the battle masters um, superiority die to key points to uh, sorcery points, whatever else there might be out there. It's just a, a expendable resource. And so it's limited. Uh, so D&D Beyond just kind of calls it a limited use thing. Um, but that's honestly not that different than just spell slots, if you really think about it. And so this is them trying to kind of keep things in pace and keep things even. Mm -hmm. So why don't you, I understand key, but I don't understand key. So why don't you give us the lowdown on exactly how key works, both kind of in the game, um, narrative wise, as well as mechanically when you're using it as a player. Yeah, of course. So um, breakdown wise, key points are the expendable resource that you get as a monk and almost everything that we're going to talk about after this flows from the use of those key points. There are some exceptions, but this is really where it, it kind of gets to the, the core of the character. And so basically on the chart, the very beginning, you can see it right there on page 77 in the player's handbook um, is where you know how many points of key that you have and you can spend them to do a bunch of different kinds of things. Um, and right off the bat, you get three kind of additional moves, flurry of blows, patient defense, and step of the wind. Um, and you can get your key points back after a short or a long rest. Uh, and it does stipulate that usually a short rest is an hour, right? So you have to spend 30 minutes of that rest meditating to regain your key points. So it's like recentering your focus and drawing that, uh, that energy back forth. Uh, and um, so the, the th three things here, uh, initially, Floria blows. What it does is that when you go to make that bonus action attack, the unarmed attack, you can spend a key point. And it's two unarmed attacks instead of just one. Um, the only kind of uh, prerequisite there is it has to be immediately after you take the attack action on your turn. So you can't do those first and then do the attack action. Um, it does say immediately, but I am pretty sure that um, you can move in between, like say making your attack move mm -hmm. and then do your bonus action of flurry of blows. Uh, I think I've seen that clarification someplace, but um, but it does say that it has to happen after the attack, not before. So so you could get three attacks starting at level two. Level two, yep. And now there, it's limited, of course, uh, not only by the number of bonus actions you get, but uh, you only have two key points. So you could do it twice. So that's kind yeah, of Yeah, we actually didn't talk about that. So the number of key points that you get is basically equal to your monk level. So mm -hmm. essentially, it's just a one for one for your character level, unless you're multi-classing. And that's where that distinction of monk level comes in. That if you're multi-classing and you only have three levels of monk and one level of something else, you don't get four key points because you're a level four character. You right. get three because you're a level three monk. So yeah, exactly. And in that way, it's really simple, which is kind of nice. Um, and all of these things that come initially with your key points all let you do something different with your bonus action, which is kind of nice because there's a lot of characters and character builds that just bonus actions never really come into the picture or only rarely under special circumstances. Monks always have something they can do with their bonus action, kind of like rogues. Uh, the other thing they can do is patient defense. You can spend a key point and you can take the dodge action as a bonus action instead of a, a uh, full action. Uh, and dodge your enemy's disadvantage on their attack, right? Exactly. Okay. Yeah, which is a great 
action that a lot of people don't realize is there or don't often use. And it can be really, really great, especially when you're fighting defensively and just trying to buy time while someone else says something uh, that's going to you know, turn the tide of battle. Um, and then the other one is step of the wind, which lets you spend a key point and as a bonus action, either disengage, which is what you can do to get away out of melee combat without invoking an opportunity attack, or dash, where you can basically use your uh, all your movement one more time. Which uh, that so. gets crazy, which we'll get into it as we start talking about leveling up higher, but that, that feature mm -hmm. can become insane Broken. at higher levels right this is this is where the the uh flash uh kind of gets into play um also interestingly enough when you take a step of the wind your jumping distance is doubled for that turn uh so yeah and it doesn't say vertical Hi or horizontal oh, i was just gonna ask that wow it just said that would be double. huge for your vertical jump man it is and what's and what's great though is this very crouching tiger head and dragon where they're just like they're jumping and they're like kind of like stepping you know step of the wind and landing on top of an eight foot tall bamboo pole and you're like okay cool so that's kind of that there now remember jump is a function of your strength score and yeah. there's a lot of monks that just ignore that yeah, they just so go straight for decks this is kind of a nice way to get around that now the other cool thing you get and this is what you were alluding to at second level is the unarmored movement that your speed increases by 10 while you're not wearing armor or wielding a shield which of That's course so you won't be yes this That's bonus so increases when you reach <gasps> other monk levels and so uh for example uh give it, us the highest level what what's what what can we aspire towards at level 18 it caps out an additional 30 feet so you can have 60 feet of if you're a human you could have 60 feet of movement right and if you're a wood elf you could have 70. no and then if you dash 65. on your turn yeah you could have 65 and then if you dash on your turn have, have 130 feet 130 of in one in six sec in six seconds yeah Let's not even talk about the mobile feet um, <laughs> or the new rabbit class from uh, from the. Oh, uh, my God. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, listen, I've seen the builds. They're ridiculous. <laughs> and then my favorite thing is at ninth level with unarmed movement, unarmored movement, you also can run along vertical surfaces and liquids on your turn without falling during the move. You can run across water. You could just be a pirate without a ship and run across the ocean or along the wall it's is very neo from the matrix right so that's where it gets really just buck wild where you're all okay fine that's that's all fine you're gonna run across the you're gonna run to the top of the the 100 foot tower of course you are go ahead just that's fine go ahead now remember you can spend one key point so you can use your movement spend a key point and dash as a bonus action oh but what about your action I choose to dash. That's three full movements in six seconds. That, mm, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. As, as a person who loves knowing the rules just to like do thought experiments of like ridiculous things, the monk is probably one of the more, my most favorite things to do. And let's not even talk about if you take two levels of fighter and, you know, choose to take action surge. So let's not talk um, about that yet. We'll, we'll save this no, yeah. for the end. <laughs> yeah uh so that's at level okay so yeah that's at level two your monk gets key points 
Uh, can you spend as many key points as you want in a turn, or can you only spend one at a time? Um, you can spend as many as you want as long as you have them. Um, okay. I'm double checking. I mean, you don't have a lot at level two, but if you mm -hmm. wanted to spend both of them in one turn, I didn't know if that was allowed. Yep, exactly. And then, um, yeah, so that's level two, which is a lot of stuff at level two. Like, it's kind of a lot of Especially fun. Especially with how quickly, because what is level two? 300 XP or something? something. So it's very minimal. Yeah, and even for like little that. squishy new explorers, they can usually reach that very, very quickly. Yeah, and a, a lot of people love starting at level three or getting people to level three as fast three as five. possible. Yeah, that's yeah. usually the average starting point. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, um, okay, yeah. So that's your second level. And then let it, let's move on from there about what happens at third level and beyond. Because once okay. you hit third, you kind of... It, 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 it reduces a little bit as quickly as you start to level up how much stuff you get every level. So Right, because a lot of it now is going to be coming from your monastic tradition or just in general, your subclass. Right. So you get your monastic tradition. Uh, you also gain the ability to deflect missiles, um, yes. which is a great turn. <laughs> um, basically, it gives you your first like real like unique thing to do as a reaction. You can deflect or catch a missile or basically any projectile, as it were, uh, when you're hit by a ranged weapon attack. Uh, so if someone throws a spear at you, shoots a bolt, uh, a, a bolt from a crossbow, potentially even a boulder, like it just anything that's like a projectile. Um, and what you do is you can uh, reduce the damage from that attack by 1d10 plus your dex modifier plus your monk level. So here at level three, that's easily going to be 1d10 plus six, right? So um, potentially 16 points of damage. You get to higher levels, then that could easily be 1d10 plus 25. Um, so um, if, and then if you reduce the damage all to zero, because you just snatch that arrow out of the air, you can like spin and then launch it back at them as long as it's small enough for you to do so. So the boulder thing won't work, but um, you can hold Cannon it in one balls, hand. arrows. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so, I guess if you're using bullets in your campaign, if you're if that's something that you've integrated into your campaign, you could even catch a bullet and throw it back at someone. Absolutely. Now it does um, cost you a key point to, to, to do the return volley but it's still an awesome thing. Um, but yeah, and it's considered a monk weapon now for, for this attack. And uh, it has a range of 20 feet and a long range of 60 feet. So that's kind of rad. Um, but uh, yeah, so then at fourth level, ability score improvement, which is really normal. Or All feet if you're doing feats. Exactly, and you right. should. They're, they're anytime fun. Anytime you can, anytime there's an ability score improvement, if your table it allows feats, you could do a feat instead. It doesn't matter what class you're running. Exactly. Uh, and then they also have fourth level, which is, this is a little unusual, that there's something else other than the ASI, the ability score improvement, um, is slow fall. So you can use your reaction when you're falling. So that means, you know, on your turn, not your turn, just whenever you fall, as long as you have a reaction left to reduce falling damage you take by amount equal to five times your monk level. That's a lot. Yeah. So that's what, 20 feet at fourth level? No, 16 feet. No, 20 feet. Yeah, 20 feet is at fourth level with a max of, gosh, 100, five times 20. Yeah, 100 feet. So, yeah, you're just, you know, your parachute pants kick off and you're ready to go. 
Um, uh, fifth level, you get the extra attack, just like a fighter would. Uh, you can attack twice uh, when you whoa, use whoa, whoa, the whoa, attack whoa. action. Whoa, whoa. Are we getting up to four attacks at oh, level yeah. five? Yeah. Without even breaking a sweat, like you spend level a key point. Level five. That is early on. Yeah, four attacks. Oh, wow. And now you're doing 1d6. So uh, with your unarmed. Uh, and if back at fourth level, you decide to take uh, the, what is it? The There's a feat that lets you do 1d8 for unarmed attacks. So you could just be doing 1d8 times four times... I mean, what, like 12 as the bonus damage? Like, it's just, it's ridiculous. You can really just be a, a beast. And there's an additional thing at fifth level. Of course and, all, and all of this has nothing to do with your subclass. You get stunning strike. So when you hit another creature with a melee weapon attack, um, you can spend a key point to attempt a stunning strike. And then they have to make a constitution save based on proficiency plus uh, wisdom uh plus uh plus eight um that's the kind of calculation for those guys um yeah, yeah. i saw that it had a, a calculation for your key save and yeah. i was wondering when that like, would it, come in so that that's yeah. where you would use that yeah and a lot of the other subclasses have more like saves that are kind of kicking in but stunning strike is probably the most common uh where it's just it's the same calculation used for everybody eight plus proficiency plus whatever your kind of key uh essential uh, ability score um modifier is in this case wisdom mm -hmm. um so yeah um and what's interesting here is it says it has to be a melee weapon attack not unarmed oh, but okay. melee weapon so that's where some of you have to start being a little bit more tactical about how you go into mm -hmm. combat yeah, although that is one of those things where I'm all, I would let that go. I wouldn't worry about that in my games, but, you know, that's... there. You don't have written, players like is. my players at your games. You've met my players. Yes, I do. Um, <laughs> uh, and then uh, sixth uh, level, um, your unarmed strikes count as magical for the purpose of overcoming resistance and immunity to non-magical attacks and damage. Uh, so that's kind of neat because at that level, you start hitting more and more creatures. <laughs> like jazz hands going on there as you're mm -hmm. doing a strike. Yeah, well, I like to think like they, they glow faintly, like Iron Fist, right? Where it's like, mm -hmm, okay, yeah, it's on now. Um, <laughs> when, you, when you start punching demons with your bare fist and it actually hurts them, you get to brag a little bit, you know? Uh, <laughs> uh, level seven, they get evasion, uh, which is kind of cool. You see that with the rogues as well. Um, basically, when there's an area effect where you have to make a deck save, uh, to take half damage. Uh, you take no damage if you succeed, and if you fail, you take half. So it kind of bumps it up one category. So you'll never take more than half damage from, say, a fireball or a breath weapon from a dragon that uses a deck save. Um, and sometimes you'll just miss it entirely, which is kind of neat. Also at seventh level, you can use your action to end an effect on yourself that's causing you to be charmed or frightened because this class is all about that, you know, knowing yourself and the inner discipline and inner peace. And so that makes a lot of sense. They can just basically shake it off. Um, I'm really fascinated here. Not a lot of classes have something every single level this far up the chain. Usually mm -hmm. you're, you'll get something and then it'll skip a level or two and you get something all the way through level seven until there's, you know, a break where you don't really get any 
major new features that you can use for another couple levels. That's kind of yeah. that's kind of different than most classes. It really is um, because it feels like a lot of the fun stuff in Monk is front loaded, and then it does feel like sometimes it tapers off. But that's only because all of the stuff from the first few levels, the first like tier one and tier two, are still really applicable. So it's uh, I kind of see why they did that. Um, so then um, you get your ASI at level eight and then unarmor movement improvement. Again, uh, this is where you'll be able to run across uh, vertical surfaces and liquids. You uh, become Dash from the Incredibles. Yeah, basically, which is, I mean, they're not wrong. That's pretty great. <laughs> um, unarmor movement. Um, uh, yeah, so level 10, purity of body. Um, you're now immune to disease and poison. Have fun with that because reasons you're one with the universe i don't know like it's purity of body you just don't get sick anymore you can't be poisoned it's 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 rad uh which can come in really handy um uh and for those who are wondering don't worry lycanthropy is a curse not a disease you're fine um unarmored movement yeah. again it goes up from 10 to 20 uh feet and then this is a wild one tongue of the sun and moon Starting at 13th level, you uh, learn to touch the key of other minds so you can understand all spoken languages. And any creature that can understand a language can understand what you say. You become a universal translator. If it has language, Here you can Google understand Translate. it and they can understand you. Yes. I oh, love man. that. That scares me a little bit as a DM because we've mm -hmm. had conversations about like not having planned out what the random other people that are populating your tavern are talking about and just mm -hmm. being like, they're speaking a language you don't know. And then suddenly they do know it and you you now have to come up with what language it is, what they're talking about. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Wow. Um... Oh, and by the way, when we were talking before about the stunning strike, uh, they recently clarified that stunning strike does work with an unarmed strike because it is a special type of melee weapon attack. So it does work. Um, so I, I was wondering about that because I was like, I don't remember that rule. Uh, and then here is one that I love that, that oftentimes people don't realize how cool it is. At level 14, they get diamond soul, um, which sounds like a like a a shoe insert but um they they're master or a james bond movie diamond soul bah, bah, bah. um they gain proficiency in all their saving throws and at level 14 what what's the proficiency bonus um i think it's five at that point let's look um 15 yeah it's plus five so you just suddenly now are proficient in all of those to the best proficiency score you can get as a monk oh yes gosh. now amazing amazing now listen to this um also whenever you make a saving throw and fail you can spend a key point and re-roll it and make and take the second result it's this close it's, to it's, a, to it's a legendary lucky. it's no it's not even that it's almost like a like a, how like legendary monsters have legendary resistance and they can just oh, use yeah. one of them and just choose to succeed on the saving throw. And so here they can just use that and just do over. And by the way, yes, halfling monks are amazing. I played <laughs> one for years. Um, now, Casey, it says here at Diamond Soul that it grants you proficiency in all saving throws. Um, 
Isn't a death save a saving throw? No. I haven't seen it anything is. that I haven't seen anything that says it's not. I have never heard it referred to any differently than a saving throw. I don't think that that's something that D&D people have overlaid. That's nope. what it's called. Yep. And by the way, paladins have this cool like aura ability that lets you add um a certain modifier to saving throws if you're in the aura. It that is confirmed. It absolutely works on death saves. You can cheat death if you're a monk. Mm-hmm. They're just impossible to kill. Um, and which gets us to Timeless Body at level 15, where you don't age anymore. You don't age. You don't need food and water. Mm-hmm. You can just <laughs> you can just be. You just are. You just exist. But you can still die of old age. Yes. So that must be really weird for people you know when you just like curl over dead one day and no one knows that you're six yeah, or twelve it, years old or <laughs> I don't know whatever race you are. Like yeah, they, they look like they're in their forties for whatever race they are, and then all of a sudden mm -hmm. dead, and they're like, "I was ninety-seven. Um, exactly. Or like this little young whippersnapper that's like, "Back in my day, uh, it's kind of mm -hmm. like the Umbrella Academy." Yeah, like like five. Yeah. Yeah, that's what that reminds me of. Is like someone that has much more knowledge and experience in a body really that should, you would yeah. not expect. Mm hmm. Uh, level eighteen again. We haven't even gotten to the subclasses. Um, level eighteen. You can use your action. Spend four key points. You have eighteen of them now. Anyway, it become invisible for one minute. During that time, you also have resistance to all damage, but force damage. Mm -hmm. And it's not it's not magic invisibility, which means it's not going to drop if you lose concentration or anything else. I mean, even if you take damage, it doesn't say that it'll disappear. You'll just take damage, half damage, and depending on what it is. But yeah, exactly, and that doesn't break it. And I was looking to see um, that. So the Sage Advice Compendium, which is different than our compendium says that the invisibility of the monk's empty body isn't ended by the monk attacking. It doesn't say it, that it is. Right, because it didn't say you cast the invisibility, the spell, invisi cast invisibility as per the spell. It says you become invisible. Mm -hmm. So you have that condition because it's a condition, not a spell. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you can run around the battlefield just wrecking a fool. For invisible. an entire combat, more than likely. Mm -hmm. And you have resistance to everything like you're a bear totem barbarian. Everyone would have disadvantage against trying to attack you because they can't see you. Right. As you run around the field. You would have an advantage on attacking everyone because uh -huh. you are invisible and they can't see you. Right. As you run around the field with your 60 feet of movement. And your four, four attacks still, or are we up to five? Oh, uh, four at least, but depending on the subclass. Um, okay yeah all right okay yeah ah. also additionally in case it wasn't enough you can also spend eight key points to cast the cast astral projection per the spell without needing the material components um but you can only go by yourself so you can doctor strange around um and then also uh your unarmored movement caps out at 30 feet while not wearing a shield or uh wielding a shield or wearing armor and then 20th level perfect self as if he wasn't perfect already uh, when you roll for initiative and you have no key points remaining, you gain four. And that's not even once per long rest. No. That's just that's just every time it happens. Yeah, when when something goes down, even you're tapped out, you can dig into like your reserves and there's always something there. 
which kind of tells you how important key points are for this character. Um, and that is a level 20 ability and that rarely ever happens, but yeah, absolutely. So Man, yeah. Ugh. Yeah. And that's, that is what every monk gets. Like you said, we haven't even gotten into subclasses. So if you're playing a monk, you will get all of those things we listed as you leveled up. It doesn't matter what monastic tradition you choose, which we'll go into next. Uh, yeah. you just get to be insane and yeah absolutely yeah. crazy okay absolutely. so now that we have have completed the lineup for what to expect as you level up as a just general run-of-the-mill monk let's go into the subclasses which you get to pick one of starting at level three and you're gonna get even more stuff from your subclass in addition to leveling up and all the just general monk stuff that you get exactly and i think what we're gonna do is we're gonna cover the three that are in the player's handbook extensively and right. then i'll just kind of touch on briefly the the several you can find in other things including our favorite the sword cross adventurer's guide um i feel like but... we need a jingle Sword Coast Adventuring Guide. <laughs> like every time that happens, we'll just overlay it onto the audio. You've never read it, but you should. All right. Um, you just... know I'm going to have that audio clip now, right? <laughs> oh, I'm well aware. So are our listeners. And if you guys want to send us <laughs> stuff, uh, just uh, you know, DM Casey on uh, Instagram. Uh, okay. So um, the most popular, because it is in the free rules and is very like, like just doubles down on the whole aesthetic of the monk is the way of the open hand. Um, and what it does is when you pick it at third level, uh, you can do more things whenever you do your flurry of blows. Um, and you can choose from this list every time you do flurry of blows where um, they have to make a dexterity saving throw or they'll be knocked uh, prone um, or they have to make a strength save. And if they fail, you can push them up to 15 feet away from you. There is not a size restriction on this move. You can push a cloud giant 15 feet away as a halfling or gnome monk at third level. Just say. Okay, that seems weird to me because I feel like it would be a lot harder to push away a cloud giant or, you know, so something like a great gargantuan monster mm -hmm. than it would be like a halfling or a mm -hmm. goblin. I feel like you should be able to like punt those ones across the room. <laughs> Yeah, so this is very much like anime physics going on right here. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, it's them powering up while they talk for half an hour before they throw the first punch. That's exactly what's going on here, and I'm here for it. Um, or you can choose to have the person you hit not be able to take reactions until the end of your next turn, which is kind of cool, especially if they're a wizard or something that has counterspell, or there's someone you're really worried about them getting an attack of opportunity. That's really great um then sixth level wholeness of body you can actually heal yourself you can regain hit points uh equal up to three times your monk level so at the very least um you're looking at uh 18, 18 uh hit points um but it's only every long rest that you can do that but i mean you can go and way eight, up free 18 hit points like mm -hmm. if you're in a dungeon and you don't have access to health potions or any like yeah. that's huge it is you that's better than most clerics yeah Any but clerics? You, you can only do it once and it's an action and only to yourself so there are some restrictions now um there are some new options uh for the basic builds of monks and tashas and one of them is uh healing where you can spend key points to regain um your martial art die of healing 
Um, mm -hmm. So they've added some more things there, but again, it's a limited resource. It's only for yourself and it's a certain amount, but like the fighter, you know, you have the, a way to heal yourself. So that's kind of nice. So that's the sixth level. Uh, 11th level, um, tranquility. Uh, you can enter a special meditation um, that surrounds you with an aura of peace. At the end of a long rest, you gain the effect of a sanctuary spell that lasts until the start of your next long rest, so all day. Um, and the same calculation as usual. So sanctuary is interesting uh, because basically it makes you harder to uh, to get hit, um, if I'm remembering the spell correctly, that... Um, yeah, they have to first make a wisdom save when they try to hit you. If they fail, then they have to choose a new target. Um, but if the if if you attack, cast a spell, uh, or deal damage to another creature, the spell ends. So you can walk through life just being kind of hard to hit as long as you don't engage. Again, that kind of um, familiar tenet of most martial arts of this is for defense. Uh, not to be an aggressor. So there you go. And then uh, here's one that you were referring to earlier, Casey, is the Quivering Palm, which is, it took me, when I first came across this, I had to read it several times because it's just that buck wild. It's an now, entire paragraph of a description. Yeah, the, I count two paragraphs. Um, <laughs> it's a short one, but still one and a half. Um, but the Quivering Palm is a level 17. So this is like your, your, ultimate ability basically um you can set up lethal vibrations into someone's body so when you hit a creature with an arm strike you spend three key points um and it's those vibrations last in your target's body for a number of days equal to your monk level so at least 17 days almost almost two fortnights like what um and not fortnights, 10 days. Uh, so yeah, like a really long time. Um, then, and the vibrations are harmless uh, unless you use an action to end them. When you do it, if the target's on the same plane of existence as you, the creature has to make a constitution saving throw. If it fails, it's reduced to zero hit points. If it succeeds, it takes 10d10 necrotic damage. You're kind of doomed either way. What? Yeah. And necrotic. That's interesting too. Yeah, I think it's just like your body decays. It's like death magic. It's it's like basically like so just as much as the monk is like one with the universe, right? We met we read that kind of like very Jedi uh mm -hmm. paragraph earlier. It's like they're cutting their target off from that they're no longer attached to the thing that suffuses all living beings with that life energy. It's just cutting them off of that. And so it kind of makes sense. Um, it doesn't mean that they're evil. It just means that necrotic damage is probably the closest thing to approximate what's really going on here. Mm -hmm. um, and, but you can only have one creature under the effects of this feature at a time. And you can also choose to end the vibrations harmlessly without, uh, uh, without using an action. So it, you can put someone on notice, like you're like, gonna do this. Use this as a find threat. Oh, it's a threat like, for sure. Sneak into you know the Burgermeister's house and mm -hmm. do this on them. And be like, hey, you're gonna free these people from the prison and lift all the charges in. Uh, well, let's see, 17 days, or you're gonna die. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna do it now. And then just a perfect murder because there's mm -hmm. no sign of a crime. It just looks like they had a heart attack. Yeah, pretty much. 
And even if they make their save, they still may not survive. Yeah. Um, Especially if you're using it on an NPC. Yeah. Uh, you know, this is where the announcer comes in and says, please don't do this in your games. Um, yeah. Uh, then the other two are Way of Shadow and Way of the Four Elements. So Way of Shadow is kind of cool because they really get into like the like ninja vibe, you know, like the the hiding in the darkness, striking from the shadows, kind of even like some uh, darkness teleportation. Um, but basically when you get this, you can use your key, uh, to recreate some spells. So as an action, you can spend two key points to cast darkness, dark vision, pass without a trace or silence. Any one of those with two points, um, and it doesn't take any material components. And you also gain the minor illusion cantrip if you don't already know it. So you can create your own barrel to hide behind. Um, so Yeah. Uh, and then you get shadow step at sixth level, where basically you can step from one shadow into another. So if you're in dim light or darkness, and you can create darkness now, um, as a bonus action, you can teleport up to 60 feet to another unoccupied space that's also in shadow, uh, dim light or darkness. Uh, and then you have the advantage, uh, you have advantage on the first melee attack you make before the turn ends. I bet you do. And, and it's not limited. It's just, I mean, it's limited to your bonus action each turn, yep, but it, you, you can do no it every single points. bonus action, your turn. Mm -hmm. You just bamp around like your nightcrawler, which is not a bad idea. Uh, then Cloak of Shadows, uh, you can basically, if you're in an area of dim light or darkness at 11th level, you can use your action to become invisible. You remain invisible until you make the attack, cast a spell, or in an area of bright light. Uh, so yeah, you can just melt into the shadows, which is awesome. Um, and then level 17, Opportunist, you can exploit a creature's momentary distraction. Uh, whenever you hit a creature within five feet of you, Oh, sorry, whenever a creature within five feet of you is hit by an attack made by a creature other than you, so an ally, you can use your reaction to make a melee attack against that creature. So as long as you're with a buddy, you can do yet another attack with your reaction, even though they didn't leave your, your uh, threatened area and uh, trigger an opportunity attack, you can just do opportunity attacks because you feel like it. And then this is I mean, this is really getting strategic, though, because with how many mm -hmm. options you have for reactions, most classes do not give you so many options for your reactions, especially looking at this subclass here. And so yeah. you're going to have to pick and choose very wisely because you only get one reaction per round. Like this sounds really cool, but I can see how you would have to plan. It's kind of like, I mean, if you're good at playing chess, you might be really good at playing a monk because you'd kind of have to plan a few steps ahead to see what your overall strategy is so you're right, not you're kind of pairing things together right because right. then you can't slow fall and you can't deflect missiles if you use your reaction up like that mm -hmm. but hopefully you can just hide in shadows or something um and then the last one in the book is the way of the four elements also known as the avatar um it's straight up ele element bending um and what they can do basically is you can use your key points to cast certain spells and it is a kind of a more expanded list and it's all classical elemental spells and damage um and so it but what it does is it um basically it lets you be an elemental spell caster but spell slots you have your key points and there's even a little chart here at the bottom of the page on 80 that says how many key points you can use for a spell. And that's because some of them will let you like upcast, but you can't spend more than X, Y, or Z. 
Um, an interesting side note, there used to be a class called a Wu Jin in D&D, I think third or 3.5, uh, maybe even as far back as second. Um, but they were elementals like psionicists almost. Um, and this has um, the way the four elements has big Wu Jin vibes to it. Uh, and they were often also kind of portrayed as being from the Far East. Um, and so, uh, yeah, trying to look to see what editions they were in. Yeah, Wu Jin was actually in first, second, and third. Interesting. But um, yeah. So uh, basically what they get to do is um, they get just this long list of things they can do. And it's kind of like the warlock where you have to meet the prerequisites, usually just be of a certain level um, okay. where you can cast like cone of cold or hold person uh, using wind, basically. Uh, you can uh, adapt to certain elements. You can cast stone skin. You can cast thunder wave. You can cast fireball or shatter, gaseous form, fly, wall of fire, all this kind of crazy stuff. Uh, you could cast fireball with the origination being on self, mm -hmm. potentially. And then take with... evasion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you could have all of the enemies like coax them in and then basically light yourself up and be able to evade all of the danger, but have everyone around you get incinerated. Pretty much. You have to be level 11 to do that. And if I recall, you get evasion at level seven. Yeah. So you absolutely could do that. And it only costs uh, four key points. So you're good. You can do it a couple of times. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is the three like OG um, monastic tradition subclasses for the monk. But of course, there's a bunch of others. Um, just to kind of go through them really quickly, uh, there's the way of mercy, which I kind of like uh, kind of going back to the conscientious objector being conscripted into the military. Uh, they basically get some uh, things where they can punch you into health, like they can use your key points to use an unarmed strike to heal somebody or to harm somebody with necrotic damage, uh, which is kind of fun. Uh, there's the way of the astral self that people really like because of anime where you basically can summon these astral or like ethereal uh, translucent energy arms that can be like on top of your own arms or like, like coming also out from your shoulders. Like you have four arms, like you're a Pokemon uh, that kind of like bumps up even higher and uses your wisdom for some stuff, which is really, really cool. Um, there is an unofficial one from, uh, Exandria from, uh, the critical role one called the Cobalt Soul, um, which are basically like, um, inquisitors, like the Spanish Inquisition. Like it's about, uh, gathering truth, uncovering secrets, um, torture. That's fine. Um, and then there's the drunken master of Jackie Chan fame, <laughs> where you can basically, um, just use this kind of sloppy, really fluid kind of martial arts style where you're harder to hit um, and you can just do really sudden and unexpected things because people think you're drunk, but you're not. Uh, the Kinsai, uh, which is one of my favorites where it really gets into like having a chosen weapon 
um, whether it's a bow and arrow or a long sword or something else. And while you're using it, you can do extra stuff with it and it doesn't conflict with your unarmed attacks. In fact, actually complements your unarmed attacks, which is kind of a lot of fun. Um, and you get one melee weapon and one range weapon for that. And you can, you know, just uh, gain bonuses to your AC and do extra damage with your bow. So it's kind of a fun um, armed version of it, which is nice. Um, then there is uh, two more, and both of these come to us from our favorites, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. There's the Way of the Long Death, which you mentioned the Jedi and the Sith. Here's your Sith Lord. Um, there, I'm just going to read the four things they get. They're called Touch of Death, Hour of Reaping, Mastery of Death, and Touch of the Long Death. Whoever wrote, whoever was in charge of uh, creating that wasn't super creative. It's just death. All of it death. Yeah, tickle death. Um, and uh, basically, let's like suck hit points out of people as you uh, hit them. Um, and like cause people to be frightened um you can uh just avoid dying like you're a half orc and some other things uh and so yeah it's it's pretty nasty i don't see it played a lot because there's so much other fun stuff that that one feels a little underpowered sometimes but it's fun and then there's the way uh of the sun soul which is straight up street fighter with the hadouken like you can just like form little energy balls in your hand and shoot them out um and uh, do like a radiant sunbolt, a searing arc strike, like burning hands and the like. So it's about manifesting your key into bolts of energy uh, to get a little bit more range going on. Um, Street Fighter or Zeus. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but it, it's, I think literally the, the concept for this one is what if you're going to play Street Fighter, right? So like, that's what they do. Just like Drunken Master is like from legend of the drunken master by jackie from the jackie chan like there's like certain archetypes they're playing with it's hard like, to miss <laughs> yeah we're just gonna lean into this one it's fine uh just like how the uh the way of shadow is like it's straight just a ninja it's great uh they're assassins so yeah so that's the monk um with all of its amazing amazing things that it can do it's one of those classes where you're like you almost don't even need a subclass but since you get one go for it it'll be a lot of fun um, yeah. yeah. So what do you recommend if someone's building a monk? It's kind of interesting because there's several different ability scores that would be very helpful to have as a monk. Whereas usually, like if you're looking at fighter, generally speaking, you want to throw everything in strength, right? Monks yeah. aren't really like that. You've got some different flexibility and depending on what you do, they're going to use different numbers. So which one would you weight the highest? Would you go equal across the board with a lot of these different ability scores? Um, what do you think is going to be the best build as far as that goes? Um, if you're just starting out or you want to play, as I said, like with the grain, like build as kind of as, as intended, but not necessarily restricted at all, is go with decks first then go with wisdom um and if you want to do something beyond that maybe make sure your like constitution or strength are kind of the the next thing better than just 10 um because you are always are going to need hit points um and if you want to be pushing people back with way of open hand stuff you're going to need some strength um and the like um this is really cool too because there's a lot of classes uh races out there uh 
if you're staying with the, the non-Tasha's restriction that have things that give you a bonus to wisdom and dexterity like the wood elf, like the halfling and others, uh, half elf, human, all those are great choices. Um, but yeah, dexterity first, wisdom second, because all your saves are going to be based on your wisdom. And then if you are going to do something like astral self, way of shadow and the like, uh, sun soul even, wisdom is going to come in a lot more uh, commonly as well. And um, honestly, uh, multi-classing into a cleric of some sort. I was actually just going to ask you that because when we were doing all the idea. races, we did like a race class pairing. But I'm curious with the monk, what are some, what are so, because everybody loves multi-classing. Um, what are some multi-class pairings that are just perfection when you line them up well? Because I know you mentioned fighter was one of them. We kind of briefly touched on that. But what are maybe your two or three that are just perfect right. to go together? So if you just want the punch machine, you could dip two levels into fighter to get, um, both uh, second wind, which is another self-healing ability and action surge, which lets you take the attack action again, which is ridiculous. It doesn't give a bonus action, even though- No, I was just gonna ask, you get an extra yeah. bonus action for the extra attack? <laughs> even though older versions of uh, the player's handbook says you do, it was a mistake, you don't. Um, but uh, to go along with the wisdom thing, honestly, cleric is really, really good um because you can be this kind of pacifist and you actually gain your divine domain at level one as a cleric so you don't have to dip in too much if you wanted to just kind of grab a couple extra features and move on or if you wanted to like make that a dual path i've uh been playing around with a character idea that is way uh way of mercy for monk um which lets you punch people back to help. Uh, and then going cleric as well to the peace domain uh, to make like just a truly terrifying pacifist. Like he's not going to kill you, but if you ever push him over the edge, you're done, kid. Um, who just has no weapons and has no armor and just it's going to be awesome. Um, rogue is not a bad option because you could... Uh, a dagger and a lot of other kind of finesse weapons work with the monk, especially if you're using like Kinsei uh, or Kinsai to be your subclass. So those are going to use decks, both of those. You have all those attacks. You have all this extra stuff you can do as a bonus action, sometimes now without spending a key point. And you also could add on that sneak attack damage if you're running around really fast or working with friends. So uh, yeah, I think those would be the two uh, kind of coolest. Although I could see an argument for Bard, but then again, that's every class, so. And I mean, there you have it. Lock, <laughs> shock and barrel for Monk. I mean, it's, it's very robust. Um, I think it's probably one of the more unique classes in a lot of respects. Um, they really, really made it feel um, different in a lot of ways because they, they're in so many of the other classes, you can kind of feel similarities or you have to find the differences or how they set each other apart. And this one is just so unique in everything that it offers that it clearly sets itself apart from any of the competition with what you can do or, or how you can role play that character at the table. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, a monk is a lot of fun because it, it I think just breaks so much tropiness that's common to 
to games like D&D that kind of get a little hack and slash. Like even as we started this conversation all the way back at the beginning, we talked about the reason for leaving home or wherever they were from to become a venturer requires a little more work and requires you to maybe be a little more creative. And so I love that you have to start and end by being just a little bit different and thinking a little bit more creatively to make a really honestly satisfying character that's a lot of fun fun to play and if you've never played monk before i highly recommend it Thanks so much for watching this week, guys. This episode was brought to you by Quest for Authenticity, the first and only coaching program that uses D&D to help you become just as confident in real life as your D&D character is at the game table. If you're curious how you would measure up to your character, head over to www.questsforauthenticity.com to take a free quiz and find out. New episodes of the Compendium are published twice a week. So make sure you hit that subscribe button and follow along so that you're the first to know every time new content gets pushed out. Also, if you are enjoying this resource that Jason and I have put together and it is helping you spend less time having to learn the rules of D&D so that you can spend your free time actually getting to play, consider supporting us on Patreon. All of this work that we do comes out of pocket and out of our free times. And so Patreon is a great way to help support the costs that go into actually producing this content that we provide for you guys at no charge. Thanks so much for listening and we will see you guys next time.